Welcome to SkyCast episode 46, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 7, episode 3, False Gods. So we're going to take a minute up here at the top before we start discussing the episode in earnest to just talk a little bit about current events, how we're feeling, how we think this ties into the show, etc. Yeah, you know, we kind of briefly, like, even threw around the idea to not put out an episode this week. Um, I, I don't know. It, just with everything that's going on, it feels like our kind of white voices aren't necessarily what people need to hear. But I will say that I understand the importance of escapism. And I know that for some people, our podcast provides that for a show that they love. Um, and it is nice as well for us to just be able to escape into this the show and you know, not think so much about everything that's happening or not, not spend at least every day, every hour <laughs> thinking about everything that's happening right now. Yeah. Um, it's been a really, personally, I will say it's been a very hard week. Um, for us, we are white. Uh, we are very privileged. Um, and as hard as this week has been, I truly can't even imagine what this is like for black people and other people of color. And I just want to say that especially black people, but especially black people, I just want to say that we support you. We love you. Uh, We stand with you. We stand with you and we're going to be better allies, you know, moving forward. You know, we really want to use our privilege in a good way to mean something and to help people. Yeah. And we're going to hopefully look at the show through a lens a little more critically about the way that black characters are treated on this show um for both the good and the bad Mm -hmm. uh so that is our promise to you as podcasters of the hundred and yeah and and that said like we're we're also just constantly learning and and trying to educate ourselves and you know if we ever make a mistake or if we leave something out that you guys want us to talk about please do email us, tweet at us. Um, We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. And that goes to everyone. You know, we're always open, always learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And we love hearing from all of you. Yeah. So with that, (laughs) uh, nice, nice, uh, somber way of kicking (laughs) off the episode. Let's talk about false gods. Yes, let's. Um, I am like of two minds of this episode. There are things that I really liked. Um, I mean, ultimately, this is a bottle episode. It, like, serves very little um, purpose for, like, driving the plot forward. Um, And especially the whole Raven part of it is very, very fabricated just for this situation that the writers wanted to create. Um, But that said, like, I I do really think that there were some parts of this episode that were great. Um, And overall, I did enjoy it. It's more of when I just start thinking a little more critically about what this episode was really saying, um, which is where my criticisms are coming from. Yeah, I feel very similar in the fact that, like, I actually enjoyed this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, it was fun to watch. Uh, I laughed out loud several points. It's funny. (laughs) Um, I think, again, on a superficial level, I think it works really well as a standalone episode mm-hmm. my where things start to fall apart a little bit for me are when you put it into the context of not only season seven but the greater series overall and some of the character arcs um and beats that we've seen that don't quite match up for me yeah um and we'll get into a lot of that later on but I would agree that 
I was, I think maybe it's just because my expectations were so very low for this episode <laughs> that it like pleasantly kind of surprised me. It's true. Whenever we go to Sanctum, I'm just like, mm, okay, let's just kind of get this over with right. because I'm super interested in what's happening off of Sanctum right now. Right. So, and um, I think next episode is, is yeah. going to be the last one where things start to collide a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think next episode is definitely going to be one where like the two storylines finally start to merge. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit before we jump into this episode about kind of the way that the two separate storylines have been too separate (laughs) they have been so separate yeah it's driving me crazy it feels um like they're not in communication with each other I want the two storylines specifically the sanctum story and the we'll just call it the anomaly story uh for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. right now um to inform each other and I think part of that is that (laughs) the where is Bellamy Blake question that is looming over this entire episode. It made sense in episode one that nobody would have wondered or missed them because it had been like a day. Um, but at this point, now it's been a couple of days. I, I would have liked someone in the episode to have been like, gee, where's Octavia? Where is um, Echo coming? Like something. It's just, they all know that there's danger in the forest. And yes, they have Gabriel with them, but still... Like, it's not necessarily a completely safe place. And it's just strange. For me, it's not even so much like, why haven't they got back yet? But just the fact that that whole group hasn't even been mentioned by our group. And it's really not helping me feel like these stories are integrated. It reminds me a lot of season three, where there were two different storylines. There was like the Polis storyline and there was the Ally storyline. And for me... At the time, I was much more invested in the Polis storyline than the Ali storyline. Yeah. Um, and I feel the same way this time with um, the Anomaly one and the Sanctum one. Yeah. Um, and, and like the, they obviously collided at some point later in, in season three. Um, but it was like those early episodes that were just a little frustrating at times because they were focusing on things that I didn't want them to focus on. And I don't like that feeling where it's like, these two storylines are like completely separate within the same show. Exactly. And I, I know, I know that they will collide and collide very soon. Yeah. I think but it has little to, for me, it's not so much about like, I understand that they're setting the stage, right? Like this is set up. I get that. That's fine. I don't think that that necessarily precludes them from still even f- thematically. Yeah. If they could thematically tie them in, I would be more interested in that. You know, I just think that there's a missed opportunity here and a missed um, functionality of of creating a cohesiveness uh, that as the show, r- the runner and writers, that is their, is their job that they're not doing. I think for me, the cohesiveness is really the awareness of the, the different characters and their like almost flagrant non-awareness of the other group's yes. situation, but especially like the people in Sanctum not thinking about their friends. Um, just like it, it would be so easy for the writers to just put Drop a throwaway line. line. Yeah. To just remind us that like, can't wait for, can't wait for Echo to come back. Yeah. She's really good at this or, yeah. you know, something, just a tiny thing, tiny, super tiny easy. Line. Um, or thank God Octavia's not here and she's off in the forest doing bubble, you know, like something so simple. Yeah. Like they could have mentioned Octavia today and the, uh, today uh, in this episode in like the one crew, um, scene. Exactly. Um, but again, like, it's just like little things like that, that make it feel like they're forgetting their history and they're forgetting the other (laughs) storyline. Yeah. But again, hopefully next week or this coming up week, um, the two stories are going to start merging and we're going to see going forward a lot more cohesiveness throughout. Hopefully. I hope so too. 
Um, before we get into the recap, just wanted to take a quick second and thank John Michael for his awesome email. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we had some some fun reading through your theories. And by we, I really mean Sarah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that is a good reminder for everyone else. So you can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. Um, and we'd also love if you could go and take a moment to go rate and review us on iTunes. Again, it helps other fans of The 100 find us. Um, so go do that really quickly and then come right back. So thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, and with that, let's get into the recap. Let's do it. So in Sanctum, we see a new girl, Cora, go down into the power station to take over her shift, where she ends up making out with James from Sky Crew. But before they can go too far, James notices an issue with the nuclear core, so he and Cora go to check it out. But just as James thinks he's fixed it, he notices radiation burns on Cora's face. There is clearly a radiation leak, and the two of them are now going to die because of it. <laughs> Romantic. So, yeah, it's really beautiful. I love that her name is Cora, and she dies in the core. Oh, I didn't even, that did not even. It just, it just occurred to me at this exact moment. <laughs> um, but, so this, we had thought, and I was, like, pretty certain about this. We? Okay, I had thought and was pretty certain about, don't, you didn't bring anything to the table here. I did not. I would just like to be clear. Okay. I brought nothing. I had thought and was pretty certain about this, that this would have been a scene um, from Second Dawn because for me, the whole radiation thread feels like such a, a retread from what, you know, we've done before. And so... No, it turns out it's a it's a new thing. Um, it's so a, I was like, okay, another dip into the radiation storyline. It's like I recognize that tree, but okay, I guess yep. we're <laughs> going in circles here. Indeed. <laughs> um, uh, but I do know. I mean, obviously, we know that we're gonna get second dawn stuff later this season. So now I'm like, great. Well, I have no idea what that's gonna look like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's super exciting because yeah. it's like fresh. Yeah, fresh indeed. Cadigan just around the corner. He is waiting for me. I know. <laughs> I do this to her all the time. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to call out a really nice euphemism here. Um, Cora tells James to pull out your control rod. Is that what we're calling it these days? I love Britt did not get that was a euphemism the first time around. No, I, I just, I just, didn't, I just didn't hear it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't hear what she said. And then when I was, when we were watching it with the subtitles, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so some things never change. Humans are always horny no matter where they are. Yeah. That's I'm comforting. I'm definitely sad that Cora had to die. I'm like less sad that James had to die because he was kind of a little punk. He was a punk um, ass bitch. But but Cora seemed pretty chill. Actually, he does really remind me of um, that SNL sketch when Kylo Ren goes undercover as the janitor on the <laughs> Death Star. <laughs> That's kind of what James reminded me of, actually. Okay. That is not what James reminded me of, but all right. He's just kind of whiny. Yeah, but like Kylo Ren was like whiny in a different way. <laughs> James was very confident um, Overly confident one might say Because he got himself and his girlfriend killed but Yes <laughs> And he's just really horny And he's very horny I mean so is Cora Like girls gotta get what girls gotta get You know no no shade to Cora yeah, I feel Cora, bad for Cora Cora was horny but she was like Yeah Priya never let us go down there I don't think this is a good idea James was like I'm gonna be go down there and do it super fast So we can have sex well, I mean, yes. Um, I did want to note, I was a little surprised that Priya did all the core work herself, even after all of this time. I don't um, know if she did it all by herself or she just didn't like them un there unsupervised. 
She said specifically Priya never let us go in there. So it made it sound like Maybe. she was saying like Priya literally did all that work in there herself, which I mean, I guess makes sense because she knows how to. But as someone who I think all the primes became, which is they all kind of think they're gods and they've bought into their own little Mythology. story. Um, I, I'm surprised that Priya wouldn't have started like letting more um, disposable people <laughs> like the gnolls you know yeah go in um and do the work uh but i guess priya liked to do it herself so yeah maybe it was just like too important it's like i mean like what is actually really scary is someone had to know right because priya wasn't always around sometimes she was dead you know right so i'm, I'm curious who took over for priya when priya was out of commission <laughs> yeah it's a good question we don't know um, a nice little shout out to Sinclair here. Yeah. He was James' mentor. But sorry, James, Sinclair didn't like you as much as he liked Raven. No, Sinclair <laughs> didn't like anyone as like, much as he exactly. liked Exactly. Like, he might have been your mentor, but you were not his favorite mentee. That's, that's <laughs> fine. Um, and so, yeah, like, this this whole scene, I, I was a little bit disappointed because I was like, again, again with the radiation. To be honest perfectly honest with you I did not remember I mean like I remember like I was like oh radiation but like in my brain I was like this feels very familiar but it like did not immediately occur to me I was like season two season Season four four. season five like (laughs) (laughs) until we started like in earnest like talking about it and then I was like oh my god we've done a lot of radiation on this show yeah a lot (laughs) yes we have but we're gonna jump into it again yes we are (laughs) So Clark goes to bury her mother's ring and Gaia joins her. The two talk about the choices they've made recently and wonder if they could be doing better. And then Clark buries her mother's wedding ring as Gaia buries the remains of the flame. And then the two go to talk to Russell. Yeah. So first of all, I think the most important thing to talk about in this scene is that Gaia looks sexy as fuck. I cannot get over how good Gaia looks this season. I don't know if we talked about it in the last episode, but we definitely mention it every single time she's on our screen. She just looks amazing like I love love this look a goddess (laughs) underscore love I love it so much (laughs) like I and like it I will just say because I don't think I mentioned it anywhere else in this episode but the like sultry sexiness of this outfit Mm -hmm. seemed to me like it was like sort of like a romantic indication on their part they're dressing her a little romantically they're dressing her a little sexily I still am not reading any chemistry between them and I'm certainly not getting that vibe between the actors but again it's just making me think about production um and the and the um instructions that the writers are giving production mm-hmm. it's just something to put I in mean your, a yeah. feather to put in your cap what she's wearing is sexy as hell sexy and very different from what she's worn in the past yes it's, so. a, it's a much again it's a very sultry mm-hmm. much softer look for her um, and I mean, like, honestly, whatever ends up happening with them romantically, I am really, really loving Gaia's role in this episode and, and in this season so far, honestly. Um, I just like the way that her and Clark are able to connect on this really emotional level um, to kind of comfort each other as they're both going through these really traumatic events in their life, you know, with Gaia losing her entire faith and then obviously um, Clark losing her mother. Um, It it just feels like these two right now are able to connect in a way that um, they're not able to connect with anyone else. You know, I I, I think if Bellamy were here, it might be a little different um, because Clark and Bellamy have always had that like emotional connection. They always, you know, would talk about things that they couldn't talk about with everyone else. Um, 
but in Bellamy's place, I'm glad that Gaia's here. And honestly, like, I'm just so glad that Gaia's finally getting some attention because she's just such an alluring character. Yeah. Just, like, her her, her whole persona feels so different than anyone else on this show. Yeah. Um, and so refreshing. Totally. She has a she has a very different energy than anyone else on the show has. Mm-hmm. I think she it's fun for other characters to play off of that energy and it creates a different kind of dynamic um, and it's entertaining to watch. I also, you know, we can talk about this. I mean, talk about black characters that have been underserved on yeah. this show. Guy, I mean, we've been waiting for seasons and seasons for them to give her something to do. And I do think that her stepping up and replacing Bellamy as a as an emotional confidant mm-hmm. for Clark and vice versa is in itself interesting. I mean, we're always the spotlight is always going to be on Clark, right? But yeah. if her proximity to Clark gives her a little of that spotlight um, to shine on her, I don't mind it. And I certainly like the sort of emotional um, crux that they've given her that we're obviously going to need to see her work through the rest of the season. That's a very promising lead. Um, that I'm, I'm excited about. So I'm 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 excited and I am pleased with all of these things. Although I do feel like it's very late in the game for them to be finally picking up this ball and running with it. Yeah. You mean just be picking up Gaia yeah. in general as a character? Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think like in season four, in season five, in season six, the beginning of those seasons always kind of started out making us think that Gaia would really like come to be a larger role in the show and then that ultimately just didn't play out season after season after season yeah she's Um, been sidelined for a very long time and it was always very confusing because I do think they really have something here with Gaia and especially with Gaia and Indra as this mother-daughter foil for Clark's mom um and Clark yeah um I think those are the only two characters that have parents in this show that I can think of right well, Miller's dad was around for like a hot minute. Yeah, that's true. I guess and Monty's maybe, maybe, parents were around for like a hot minute. Whose but parents? Monty's. Yeah. Um. I think maybe I guess mother daughter, a mother daughter relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. So I really like the juxtaposition between the ways that these two mothers have related and um failed with their two daughters. Um, totally, I agree. And and now again, the other foil is Clark with Maddie. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> Clark's not the greatest mom. She has a lot of her own failings as well. But, you know, you you do get – it's very clear that all three mothers care so deeply yeah, about their children. they love their children. Their children. Um, but a lot of them, basically all three of them, never quite knew how to relate to their daughters um, in the way that their daughters maybe needed. Yeah, I think that's fair. And so I like that idea of, you know, mothers and daughters and and missed connections there um, and ways that ultimately those relationships can be strengthened. And so I hope that this season we get to see more of like Indra's and Gaia's relationship play out Um, and also just more of of Gaia coming into her own as a character, because I think she's got so much promise here. Yeah, she's got tons of potential and I just want them to like keep digging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm also really glad that Gaia wasn't too hard on Clark for last night because, you know, I was worried at the end of episode one, I guess it was, that people were going to kind of turn on Clark for her, like, just completely losing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Gaia gives her so much, like, love and forgiveness here. Um, and, and, you know, she I think she's able to tell Clark that we, we realize that this was um, an extreme reaction, but we also understand that this is coming from, like, a place of, like, pure emotion like he killed your mother and you can't expect to act logically around that yeah absolutely I mean I I think it's just really refreshing that 
they're giving Clark the benefit of the doubt, yeah. which they've never really done before. Um, and, and Gaia is sort of like um, soothing presence mm-hmm. and very calming uh, forgiveness here. Her little speech is just, it's very welcome. Yeah. Uh, indeed. And I think, you know, just to, to talk about this a little bit, because it comes up several times in the episode, we do get a little bit of carryover from episode one about this ongoing identity crisis theme um, for Gaia and like what her role is going to be um, now that she's no longer the flame keeper. So again, I'm really excited to looking forward to that and like how she chooses to shape who she is in her future. Yeah, I think Gaia is and will always be a woman of faith. Sure. And so for me, the question is, what is Gaia going to believe in now? Like, what is she going to, like, put all of her heart and soul into moving forward? Because there's always, you know, there's always more out there for you to believe in if you want it and for you to look for it. And there are causes that need support and need saving. And I would love for her to be able, I mean, she's so passionate. She's so smart. Um, She's so alluring. Like, she can do, she's a very powerful person Mm -hmm. once she finds the thing that she wants to be passionate about. And so, yeah, I'm just ready. I'm ready to see her sort of explore that. And maybe she won't get it right the first time, but, like, that's okay. Like, that happens in life. And I I think, too, like, as we come to see the split with one crew, which we'll talk about later, um, I think for Gaia, it's going to be really important for her to just really nail down what she wants and yeah. like what she wants to go for because right now she doesn't know and that's making her ineffectual as um a uh, as a speaker as a leader a leader yeah um she's not able to connect with her people on the level that she needs to and and the level that i know she's capable of um because she's she's unsure herself so she needs to find that sense of surety um in her own heart before she can really work on putting together her broken people yeah, I love that. Um, I I really, really appreciate that Clark is given a moment to grieve here. We have mentioned it so many times throughout the show that, like, the show never allows Clark space to breathe um, and to really, like, take in the the depths of loss that she's gone through in her, her short life, honestly. Um, you know, she's lost more than most people have in the show, even. Um, and she's never allowed the same sensitivity that other characters get to just mourn and to just be because Clark is always the one who has to like be strong and take control um but we see here that like she she's allowed to cry and and she's allowed to you know feel like she's failed and feel like you know that there's there's stuff that she hasn't done that she should have done to save her mother to save her people um and I think it's really healthy that she gets this chance to just go through these emotions, you know? Absolutely. And I just, I like, just as far as like a, from like a technical perspective, like it's good pacing. It's yeah. good pacing, pacing to have like a downbeat, to like have a breath, take a breath, take stock of your situation, make us feel like our characters are really reconciling with everything that's gone on. And so we know that mentally, like they're in the space, the headspace, so that the choices that they make next feel even more significant Mm -hmm. when they're operating on you know autopilot autopilot it's less interesting because you they're less accountable ultimately yeah they haven't they haven't processed so I think this is important in several ways and it's it's just 
it was a very refreshing moment. Mm-hmm. It was also an interesting choice here, and I'm glad they did it, that they um, buried the flame alongside her mother's ring. Totally. Because it really had all of those Lexa implications, but not just Lexa, also just the entire idea of the commanders and that system, you know, what it did to Maddie, um, Shaytetta, all of that. They were they were burying it. They were letting it go, and they're moving on from that, and they're going to create something new. Yeah, totally. And I love the parallel between the idea of, like, Clark you know letting go of the woman who was her support system and a foundational influence in her life and Gaia also putting I mean letting go of all of the influential forces of her life that she got from the flame Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting parallel yeah um yeah so the two of them are emoting they're crying they're comforting and then Indra just walks in and is like chop chop (laughs) we got work to do (laughs) and breaks up in like a way that only Indra can it was like very let's get down to business yeah. <laughs> no room for sentimentality here <laughs> so Clark and Indra visit Russell to inform him of his time of execution and to allow him to choose how he wants to die and Russell who we now know is actually Shade Hedda decides to lean into the drama and go for the pyre elsewhere in the tavern Jordan hears some of Russell's followers plotting something and when he asks a new character Alyssa to tell him about it she tells him she's worried that some of them might be planning a violent attack on Russell. It's terrible. Or a violent attack to save Russell. To save Sorry. Russell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's another mob outside. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's just like a constant mob in this place now. Yeah, like, I'm just curious. Like, Do any of you have jobs? What do you do all day? I They do yoga, remember? <laughs> they have like daily yoga sessions. Yeah, sure, but like the society has to function. There has to be some work to be done. Sure. They've got to farm. They've got to make food. They've got to like... <laughs> So close. Make ale. To be fair, um, the children of Gabriel don't have jobs because they just got here. No, no, not the children of Gabriel, but like the the believers, the other sanctimites. Well, I was going to say, I think the believers have like in large part abandoned their jobs to um, protest what's going on with with Russell. I'm just saying, they're a bunch of lazy bones. (laughs) Get to work. Sure, yes. Crack that whip. (laughs) They're they're rioting. (laughs) I know how ironic that sounds, guys. I'm being I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, everyone should be free to protest what they need to. Absolutely. So. <laughs> um, but the jury is in, guys. And the jury has decreed that I am very, 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 very into Shade Hedda now. Uh, now that he's in this new body. And also that Shade Hedda is very, very, very into his new body. Yeah, he's like... I- I'm actually more interested in Shade Hedda checking himself yeah. <laughs> out than I think I am into Shade Hedda. I'm like obviously super, super into J.R. Bourne who plays Shade Hedda. Yeah. But um, I don't think I'm like quite at the fascination level that you are at. I'm, I mean, like, I just, I love him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's just a messy bitch who lives for drama. And I, I'm really looking forward to that playing yeah, out. Yeah, no, he is like truly living his best life in this body <laughs> like this is everything he's ever wanted I mean like he came into a body that people think of as a god, as a god. I know he like has so much control already in place he has no work to do yeah. here he's got strings that he can play I mean he, he looks- has a little work to do and that work is so he doesn't get murdered yeah at but the end like of the day. look how easy it was for him to pull the strings to make that happen like yeah. two minutes yeah one conversation and he's done <laughs> crazy um yeah, and I just love how much, like, he is, like, laying it on so, like, it's, like, textbook Russell, and he's, like, got that, like, family album to, like, give him 
like an insight to like what Russell was like and he's just like leaning into it yeah I did think it was interesting what he was looking at specifically I couldn't tell but it didn't seem it wasn't like pictures or, or things about his family you know it was like it looked like blueprints or it was like something strange yeah we, um, we know that there were photos at the beginning of the album so maybe he would like had already like gone through all of those parts and this was like the like sanctum plans um, was it the sanctum plans is i'm that, not sure like, I, is, I, what I, is what i'm saying it's very possible it's like they chose to show us that specific thing and i couldn't tell what that specific thing was yeah i don't um, think because for me it would have been more telling had he been looking at like like russell's life pictures or of like russell's his life. journal or something sure so yeah. so like I, I think like what he was looking at must be significant and maybe it was the plans for sanctum maybe, maybe you're right there yeah um i just like a curious question here why is it that like all tv dramas they're like execution at sunset like do you guys watch tv you read stories because like kill the bastard now he's just going to escape yeah it's just drama it is just drama it's it's always fabricated it's very contrived um, but I do love that this whole scene Andrew was just like, fuck this guy. Oh my God, yeah, she's so fucking up to <laughs> here with him. She's not here for his shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, question for you while we're in this scene. Uh-huh. Did you know that this was a manip- blah, 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 blah. Did you know that this was a manipulation plot the whole time? Or did the surprise at the end, the twist work for you? Um, the, I definitely knew that Russell had something or Russell shade had out. We're going to have to figure out what to call him. Shade Russell. What did I say the other shade, day? Uh, light shade. Light shade. Yes, I'm, I do love light shade. I'm calling him light shade. <laughs> um, that that light shade, in his like creepy manner, was making me feel like he had something planned. I just didn't. I couldn't quite figure out what it was. I did not call the um, believer thing. Uh, that they were really like manipulating everyone. Yeah, I no, didn't get that. I did not on the first watch. It it also. Like, the, I didn't see it coming. And then it's so clear in the second one. Yeah, no, you go back and watch it a second time, and you're like, oh, damn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so why weren't Russell's followers even allowed in to see him? Because it doesn't seem, or sound like they were able to go see him in episode one. I don't think they were allowed to see him. I think they snuck in, is what it sounds like. I mean, we, like, like, Clark was like, we know your people have come to see you, which is like, they weren't great at hiding it. Or they weren't trying to hide it. Right, but there's only one door. And was it not under guard? Like, I, I'm, I'm not confused. sure. I'm not sure, but I don't think they allowed it. But I think it happened anyway. Okay. Um, and I know that, that Clark isn't in the right headspace to notice this right now. But there is a very clear change in, like, quote-unquote, Russell's behavior from uh, last night to this one. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, he, they're night different, day. <laughs> different people. And I, I really love how J.R. Bourne has chosen to play this new character because you can immediately tell that this is not Russell. Yes. We, we can, obviously. Yes, and we're meant to. <laughs> yes. Like, the dramatic irony is great um, mm-hmm. because we can totally see the difference in personality, but the way that he's, like, again, playing it on so – laying it on so thick is, like, you know, they're just – he's so – he's so um, – inf- has such an inflated sense of ego that yeah. they, they're just lapping it up <laughs> because they, they're, like – they just pass it off as, like, oh, Russell's being Russell yeah. again. <laughs> Um, I did like that Russell calls out Clark for wanting to pretend they're still civilized, um, about like, you know, you're still going to murder me. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that's a big part of what leads Clark in this episode to kind of have her moment of reflection with Gaia at the end about what they've become or what they are or what they've always been. Um, and her really grappling with that fact. And we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but I think this was really kind of the moment that 
she starts to think like here we are again no I agree I think it's um a seed that he wanted to plant you know obviously for his own purposes but it definitely grows and works its way in Clark's head that we can see throughout the rest of the episode um and the kind of differences between what your basic human or basic survival instinct is, your primal instinct versus what a, I guess, more evolved um, decision mm-hmm. is. Um, so moving on from that scene and into the tavern, I just want to say, you know, before we delve into this too much, that I like that even though it's still a very small role, they're still showing Delilah's parents and kind of the fallout from what happened with Delilah specifically. Because that was dropped for a large part, you know, in the middle of last season, um, picked up slightly at the end. But I, I do think it's important that her parents still continue to be here and to be around and for you to see how profoundly this has affected them and how this has changed their lives and changed their minds and hearts. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. I think this is a great example of like one of those very small inclusions and insertions of a beat that it, it does a lot of work mm-hmm. with almost very little time. Yeah. And, you know, this is the kind of thing where you're like, you can just drop a line, takes two seconds, and it does a lot of character work and a lot of world building. And it just shows that you remember your history. Right. Um, <laughs> again, where is Echo? Where's Bellamy? <laughs> where's Octavia? Just saying. Um, I do think there's a really, I'm going to use this word a lot this episode because I, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about everything. Um. But there's a really interesting conversation between Miller and Jackson here where Jackson is sort of lamenting um, and feeling a little guilt over um, that fact that he's looking forward to Russell's execution um, because of what happened to Abby. And he sort of throws uh, a little bit of shade at Jackson saying that, you know, of course he's it doesn't bother him, almost implying that like Jackson's a little trigger happy. You mean, you mean, that I mean, Jackson's Miller throwing that at yeah, Miller. Yeah. yeah. That Miller's a little trigger happy. And of course, Miller takes great offense at this. Um, and I just, I think this is like an interesting uh, conversation. I think this is an interesting dynamic. I don't ultimately know what function it serves, like in the bigger picture. I like that they gave this a moment. I don't, I don't know exactly what they're trying to say with it. Um, I, I feel a lot more confident about what they're trying to say about Jackson, less so about Miller, is what um, I will say. I will say at first, I don't think Jackson was saying that Miller was trigger happy, but I think Jackson was saying that Miller was um, much more okay with death and with murder. Um, so, like, not that, like, Miller wanted to, like, hurt people, but that Miller was just, he's, like, very accepting of it. Yeah, I guess that's a better way of, of putting it than what I was trying to say. Um, but... Second, and I think, you know, this can also tie into our discussion about how this show has really underserved the black characters, major black characters. I mean, Miller has been here since, I think, episode one. If not episode one, like one of the early couple of episodes. Episode two. Yeah. I don't actually think he was in episode one, but I could be wrong. Definitely episode two, though. Whatever it is, he's been here since the beginning. And truly, there is not a character who has been more underserved than Miller. I feel this so deeply. I 100% (laughs) agree. And I think that they they give him shades. And I'm constantly surprised by him because I don't know him very well. Mm -hmm. And after seven years, how could I not know him? Um, you know, it, 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 we had talked a lot about, um, Miller's character in season five and then kind of bleeding into season six about the ways that he was like, so, um, almost blindly 
uh, obsessed with Octavia and her like leadership and yeah. he like did whatever she wanted without blinking um because you know she had created kind of this cult essentially uh around her and um Miller did a lot of things that we didn't agree with but of course I also understand that there is this almost like level of brainwashing that happened in that in that uh bunker to everyone even to Octavia um but he he like was let off very easily and I remember we were a little irritated because Clark wasn't given that same um forgiveness that Miller was but at the same time I still feel like that would have been a really interesting thing to delve into for Miller and it's kind of like again what they touch on here but it's just showing again and again that the show has potential for characters but then I don't know if it's because there are too many characters or because, I mean, like, I'm sure that, that racism plays a role in how this is being written. Well, I, I think you're right. I think part of it I, is definitely implicit bias. Um, I also think a lot of the times they have all these seeds of an idea of what the characters could be and their potential, but then they get really caught up in the plot. Yeah, Their plots are, you know, which is, you know, this is a fault of every show that has ever been made of all time like season after season they get bigger more complicated and blah 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 and ultimately it they don't have time to do every character justice I don't think that is uh an excuse Mm -hmm. and I'm certainly I would much prefer character development over plot every day of the week and twice on Sunday (laughs) but I do think that it is a it is a um, consequence of what happens when your shows go on longer and longer and your plots get more and more complicated but I do just like to say that this is still something that weighs on Miller. And I wonder if it will be a thread that's carried throughout this whole season or if we're going to kind of drop it after this. Yeah, that's kind of what my question is, too, and why I ultimately just like left it as like a de- the descriptor of interesting, mm-hmm. because I don't quite have a word for what it is yet. I don't know which way it's going right. to go. <laughs> interesting. It's a nugget. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, switching gears here a little bit, we uh, see that Trey and Alyssa are conspiring here. I just gotta say it. Trey is a dummy. Trey, like, Trey is dumb. <laughs> talk about like Riley 2.0. <laughs> kind of, but he's like, he 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 annoys me less than Riley did. Trey annoys like, you less. I Trey annoys me quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, I know. Trey is super fucking annoying. But like, it's like almost like his annoying pieces of him are like justified by like the work that they've done on his character, and. In the way that, like, Riley showed up and everyone was like, Riley! And I was like, what the fuck is Riley? <laughs> it was just like, there was no character work done there at all. At least I understand Trey and That's what true. he is. I mean, I don't think there's been a lot of character no. work on Trey, but we know the archetype. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I just, it was truly like the light bulb clicked in my brain. I was watching this. I was like, oh, Trey's just dumb. It's just dumb. <laughs> I mean, this scene, though, watching it a second time was hilarious. Yeah, it was. It was great. Alyssa is such a smart bitch. Like, <laughs> she waits. You can, like, the camera tracks as Jordan's feet are coming down the stairs. And it's not until he's, like, two steps away from the bottom and his head is almost past the floorboards where she starts talking about their plans, knowing that he, A, can overhear her and cannot help himself but butt in. 
She's Trey, we just can't be violent. Trey! <laughs> Can you hear me, Trey? Get the <laughs> megaphone! Um, you know, she plays Jordan like a fiddle. Yeah. Um, and it serves him right, honestly, for under- underestimating a woman. Like, good for you, Alyssa. I kind of stand you. I mean, yeah, like, I stand her. You know, I just... I don't she, agree with her, but no, I stand no, her. I don't like you, but I... Uh, you know, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Um, and yeah, now that we've watched this a couple of times, like everything that Alyssa does here just makes me laugh. Like she's she's like, oh no, if only there was someone (laughs) bat my eyelashes. If only a big strong man could come and help me. Some of these people are going to take matters into their own hands. What shall I ever do? (sighs) Jordan's like, I'm here. (laughs) Never fear. (laughs) So yeah, we should have realized this, but we didn't. And I like that. I like that the show made it both very obvious, but also managed to hide it from us. Yeah, no, it was great directing. From his room in the palace, Murphy watches them building Russell's pyre outside and wonders if he and Amori will be next. As he and Amori start to get a little bit frisky, Raven interrupts and tells them that the power is out all over Sanctum, and she drags Amori off to check it out. But when they get to the nuclear reactor, they find Cora and James dead, and Raven realizes that the core is overheating and it's close to melting down. If it does, everyone in Sanctum will die. Um, dum, so apparently, dum, dum. <laughs> apparently the palace only burned a little bit. Down. Only a little singed. <laughs> it reminds me, I don't even think we mentioned it, but in episode one, Clark, like, I don't know if she punches or kicks someone who's like trying to carry a water. <laughs> His poor, poor soul. And they drop the water and she's like, let it burn. <laughs> let it burn. <laughs> apparently it didn't burn that much. Maybe only like the West Wing burns. Yeah. <laughs> the East Wing is fine. Yeah. Um, and luckily their room. Fine, just perfect. Oh yeah, and and the clothes are obviously still in there because uh-huh. Amori's nighty is excellent. A plus. I appreciate and yeah. I approve. I approve this nighty. Was that Kaylee's nighty? Is that kind of gross? Don't care. <laughs> Not thinking about it. It's great and it looks great on her. Fits her like a glove. Um, so this is a really interesting episode. There's that word again. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, for Murphy throughout. You know, I like that Murphy is slowly starting to, I guess, ruminate on what it means to be a god in this city. Um, And I think that's something that he's going to have to deal with throughout the rest of this season. Because I don't think that he is one of the ones who goes on the planet hopping trip. I think he'll be staying here in Sanctum. I would agree. Um, But, like, (laughs) just imagine them being like, who wants to volunteer to go planet hopping? And Murphy's like, Clark! Clark's (laughs) like me! (laughs) But also, fair. Get off a sanctum. (laughs) Um, I have a question for you. Mm. Uh, When Murphy says, doesn't this feel wrong to you, to Amori, is it about Russell being executed or about them pretending to be primes? Yeah, that's a really good question. I actually had two different readings of this Mm -hmm. each time I watched it. I think the first time I watched it, I thought it was about them being primes as they like are looking over this. They're like in their palace, lavish furnishings, and they're looking at this, these mobs of people who are just tearing each other apart. And it feels like Murphy and Amori are taking advantage of the situation. Mm -hmm. The second time I watched it, it felt like maybe he was more specifically talking about the fact that Russell was being executed. I could go either way. That's interesting because I had, <laughs> that's interesting. I need to stop saying that. I had the opposite um, reactions as you. The first time I thought he was talking about Russell and the second time I thought he was talking about them being primes. And I agree. It can go either way. I think it is almost more interesting if he's talking about Russell. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's more interesting. <laughs> he's 
talking about the mom. Well, I, I, I understand why he would be a little uncomfortable, like pretending to be a god and like using this. Like, I think that does serve his, um, what I hope his journey will be this season. Sure. But the idea that he would be against executing Russell, um, even after everything Russell did, is a nugget that I would be in. I would, I would like to see him explore further. Yeah. I think thematically in this episode, that makes sense to me. Um, it sort of ties in with his like, um, hesitancy about murdering the Allegis guys later on. Mm -hmm. I don't actually think that's what they meant by this. I'm pretty sure they're talking about like the fact that they're taking advantage of a situation where it's clearly not, that, that uh, Amori is sitting here wearing a dead woman's nightie. <laughs> well, and just <laughs> hot like, as it is. And just like that they've kind of like usurped this this position of power that doesn't belong to them and, and gives them a lot of privilege. Like while everyone else below them is scrabbling around and like killing each other. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably what they meant by it. But I do agree that like in a, from a thematic point of view, I, I think the Russell um, direction is interesting. <laughs> interesting <laughs> now that i'm aware of it's how much been say it, a long week it okay very, <laughs> very long week um yeah so uh, something else i wanted to talk about in this scene is the dynamic between amori and murphy as he starts to begin to feel more guilt um which we can tell from the, what he's talking about here i think it's weird i mean i i don't think it's out of character but I don't necessarily love that she, like, takes on this role to sort of soothe him and, like, placate his guilt. She tells him, it's okay, come back to bed, don't worry about it, let's be sexy. And it's, like, almost as if whatever mood M Murphy is in, Amori contorts herself to be whatever he needs in that moment. Yes. I mean and I don't love it. That's something that we've talked about a lot. Well, I, I'm saying this is an example of that which a version of it that we don't see very often because we don't usually see a guilty Murphy mm -hmm. and so it's it's a new sort of um layer for them because I don't think we see this sort of consolation from Amori very often we've seen it a few times before but uh not recently yeah I think it would be much more um in line with what we've seen in previous seasons if Amori were the one uncomfortable here right. and Murphy was the one to comfort right. and her. it's not it's not a reversal, right? It's mm -hmm. not a com it's not a clean inversion because, like, when Amori is feeling um, any kind of moral guilt about something, Murphy just tells her to get over it. There's no <laughs> consolation there, right? He yeah. has no patience for it. But when he's feeling guilty, she does the emotional legwork of making him feel better, which I mean, isn't great. Guys. I have a lot of <laughs> um, issues with Amori and Murphy's relationship. I have for several seasons now. Um, I don't believe they'll ever, ever be addressed. No. So I've just kind of, but I'm still calling like calling it as I. Oh see yeah, it. you should call it as it is. Um, I'm like kind of like yeah, you know, th th there's another there's another point, another notch against him. But <laughs> yeah, no, well, just it's another data point. Yeah. To to add to the the growing list of things that I have an issue with in the Amori yeah. Murphy relationship. Um, I do love when Raven walks in on them and is not even the slightest bit phased that they're about to have sex. She's like, I've walked in on you guys so many times on the arc doesn't even <laughs> make a difference to her and you like really get the feeling for how close they all must have gotten on the arc it was a nice little it was a nice little, nice little 
character moment, honestly. Yeah, it, it was, was cute. Really, it was cute. I agree. It was very cute. Um, and I also love how much Amori has learned from Raven. I mean, we've seen this before, but it was a nice reminder that they really work very well together. And Raven has taught Amori so much. And Amori has come so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's clear that Raven really relies on her, you know? And I think conversely, Amori, I, uh, I, I really feel looks up to Raven as kind of a, a paragon in many ways, which is why I think Amori is pretty affected in this episode by Raven's kind of change of attitude. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah. But they're all going to die. Yeah. So it must be a day that ends in Y. Yeah. So <laughs> another day in the hundred. They're all going to die. Everyone's going to die. Um, I love when Amori tries to go in and like save James and Cora as they're lying there. And it's like, girl. They are very, very, very clearly dead. Yeah, they're dead. <laughs> they very dead. Dead, dead. <laughs> um, That's cute, boo, but no. Yeah, so so for me, though, being a little bit more serious here, this whole reactor issue, again, feels like a really big um, retread for me. And I wish, because I, I had been wanting an episode for Raven like this for a long time. Both, both of us had. Yeah. Um, and I wish they could have found a different scenario for a bottle episode than this specific one just because well i'll get into i have a lot of issues with yeah, the way this we, was set we, up I, I think we should save the bulk of this yeah. conversation for when we actually get into it all but i do want to say up top that like this is clearly their answer to the like clark lever mm-hmm. question i don't think it's comparable i don't either as we will talk about mm-hmm. um and even the setup for it which is what we're seeing here is very contrived doesn't quite work yeah yeah so jordan comes in to see russell to ask him to talk to the believers to keep violence from breaking out and russell agrees in the workshop raven explains the situation to murphy amori clark and indra and asks indra for volunteers from one crew to seal the leak in coolant pipes while amori will go into the core and fix the control rods yeah, so just like Alyssa, Russell's playing Jordan like a fiddle, you sweet, sweet summer <laughs> child. And I want to say, I think we really did decide that we're going to just call Russell Russell, yeah. or call Shadeheader Russell for now, just because everyone else thinks he's Russell. Yeah, that's a good point. We should... Yeah. And and once it's come to light that he really is Shadeheader, um, yes. then we're going to switch. Once that's no longer a secret, we will start calling yeah. him Shadeheader. But for now, he's Russell to all of them, so that's how we'll refer to him. Yeah. Um, and Russell slash Shadeheader is so good at manipulating Jordan. I mean, he constructs this entire conversation so that Jordan feels like he came up with ide- this idea on his own mm-hmm. with very little prodding and prompting from Russell. Um, it's masterful. Yeah, I mean, that's what is really, I think this whole episode you're really setting up Shadeheader as an incredibly formidable opponent. Yeah. Um, in a way that I don't think we quite understood last season. Like, I know last season he wanted to, like, stab everyone and take control and, like, be in power. But, like, here we're really seeing much more of his um, his mental strengths and manipulation appears to be a huge one. Yeah, I feel like this is the person who I would believe, like, the, the thematic, like, chessboard. Mm-hmm. Like, that he's, like, a master chess player. Yeah. You know, I didn't quite get that connection last season mm-hmm. I thought that it wasn't quite of a match um I also think that like the way that they styled him last season with like all the like stuff on his face and the hood and like everything was a very distracting and yeah. it's hard to take a, ser- a character who's got like all that hardware on him seriously um 
it's much more interesting when you have a character who's beautiful daddy and russell looks very um, hot yes hot, <laughs> uh, but also um respectable mm-hmm. to then also know that there's something truly dark at the core of him yeah yeah um, so Jordan tells Russell here that Sky Crew will do what Jordan asks because Jordan isn't the, isn't the one asking. His father's son is. And I loved this line. And I feel like this is why Jordan doesn't connect with Sky Crew in the way that we've kind of questioned before. Um, and it's because he knows. And I think like he's actually right. True. It's yeah. that Sky Crew does not see Jordan as his own person. They see him as Monty's son. Yeah. He's an extension of Monty and also Harper. But mm-hmm. again, Harper erasure on this show is nothing new. So it's hard for him um, because, you know, he spent so much of his life alone. He's like trying to become his own person and to like forge his own path. And he's not able to do that with Sky Crew because they aren't giving him the room to be his own person. Yeah, it's just he's got so much baggage attached to him mm-hmm. um, that they all carry with them. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a great line. <laughs> um, and then Jordan telling Russell that his people want to do better and Russell cracking like, oh, yeah, like burning a man at the stake is so elevated. And like, I know this is a manipulation, but I was like, bitch, you chose this. <laughs> <laughs> like literally like two hours ago, you're like, I want them to feel my death. I'll take the pie off. The pie off. <laughs> um, yeah, so I agree with all of that. I think, again, this was a – I like the Russell and Jordan dynamic. I I like – I Jordan getting played in this episode wasn't nearly as irritating to me as it has been in the past um, because I, I like this direction that they're going with him. Yeah, and I also think – I mean, like, I definitely believe it because, again, you know, even though Jordan's, what, 30, he is – incredibly naive bb jordan he he knows nothing about people yeah <laughs> so he's, he's starting to learn and he'll get there he but will he will uh switching gears to the raven part of this um just up front this was a funny episode yeah like there's lots of jokes in here uh raven calls murphy adorable when he assumes that hazmat suits would work against gamma rays like oh boy what an idiot how could he not have known that <laughs> think it's cute that she's (laughs) teasing him and I for me like this version of Raven is my favorite version of Raven this is like you know the mechanic mode she's in charge theoretically she knows exactly what needs to be done how to get it done you have to do this she's leading assigning it's all very pragmatic and like this is where Raven shines. Yeah. It all goes very downhill very quickly from here. But it's like this is like this is the paragon of Raven. I think that Amori idolizes so much, you know. Absolutely. And like this is the Raven that we saw basically none of last season, which was why it was just so frustrating to watch her character. Right, because we know she's so capable and to ha- and to reduce her character to basically being a whiny foil of Clark nagging her all season was a weird direction to take her. And I do feel like there is a serious course correction this season mm-hmm. from the writers that realized that that did not work at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also audibly laughed out loud when both Clark and Murphy volunteered Clark at the same time. <laughs> I mean, like we both audibly laughed out loud, but I will say this also makes me want to kick Murphy's ass because like, does Clark have to do everything? Like I know that, the joke is like, of course, Clark would volunteer. Yeah, but no, like, it was it was meant to be a joke. But like, I, I also feel this comes from a darker place where it's like Murphy still isn't learning anything. He's not learning to put other people before himself. And maybe he never will. 
Maybe he won't. I mean, like, I'll, I, even with Amori later, um, Mamori goes in and does the whole control rod thing. Murphy could have done it. He could have volunteered to go for Amori, but he chose not to. He put Amori in danger over himself. Yeah. I thought that was a really weird choice that we were going to talk about later, too. I, I truly don't understand. I mean, like, I understand the Clark piece because I, I do. I just think that he was automatically assuming Clark would volunteer herself and that he didn't need to. But again, it's like it would have been a gesture. It would have been a signal, an olive branch, yeah, if like, you will. Clark, I'm sorry that I actively tried to kill you last season and also played a large role in getting your mother murdered. Maybe I'll go in and do this for you. Nah. <laughs> I don't think so. It's fine. Um, I am glad, though, that for once, someone's telling Clark that there is only so many ways she can risk her life and soul in one day. Like, girl, you know, has to pick a, a direction. Um, Again, yeah, I think it's nice that this, specifically this episode, there are a lot of characters who are standing up for Clark by her side and yeah. supporting her um, and telling her, like, you cannot multitask everything by yourself. <laughs> Uh, so I do think that I did appreciate that and I really, and I really like that it was Indra. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've loved Indra's and Clark's relationship this season. And I think that it also might stem from, um, Clark and Gaia getting closer that Indra kind of feels some sort of, um, level of protection or responsibility for Clark since her mother is now gone. Yeah. And since Kane is now gone as well, since Indra was so close to Kane. Yeah. I really like that. I think that's super, super good point. I, I think there's a, a twisted irony here that Raven is suspicious at first of asking the Allegis miners um, to do the work because of their criminal background, but then has to rely on them anyway when one crew fails to volunteer. Yeah. It I, almost feels like foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, I mean, yes, definitely <laughs> feels like foreshadowing. But again, I love that this is just another tiny little way that the show can remind the audience that they're remembering its history. You know, like in many ways, I kind of forgot about that because it was two seasons ago now. Um, and like, obviously like these new criminals are not people that we'd met in season uh, five or f yes, five. five. Um, but that they were theoretically still there and still around and Raven might've even like seen them while she was being tortured. Um, so I like that they kind of reminded us that that happened. <laughs> Yeah, and that she has that connection to yeah. them. Um, and I really, really love when Raven's like, I like you to Indra, when mm. Indra realizes that there's, like, a hidden danger that Raven hasn't mentioned. Because, like, Raven and Indra, what a team-up that would be. What a great team-up. <laughs> Ready for that. Yeah. So Indra asks one crew for volunteers, but they call her out about Maddie not asking herself. Indra wants to bring in Maddie to pretend to be Hedda, but Clark won't allow it. And instead, Gaia tells one crew the truth that there is no more Hedda and no more flame. At this news, one crew splinters back off into their old clans. So with no more volunteers from one crew, Raven goes down to talk to the prisoners. And although Nikki turns her down, Hatch agrees to help with the welding. Yeah, lots to unpack here. Yeah. Um, we're going to start at the top. <laughs> uh, so some mistakes were made with one crew. <laughs> uh, mistakes were made for sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely blame to go around. I will start with Indra, who immediately calls suspicion upon herself by invoking the commander very aggressively, I might add. You know, that only works if there actually is a commander, if they're going to call you out on it and call your bluff. Sure. Well, I think that it had been working up until this point. Yes, yes. But eventually, like, the game was going to get beat. Yeah. It was doomed to fail. Yes. You were playing with fire here. <laughs> 
Um, but it does feel like they're in an impossible situation because Maddie can't pretend to be Hedda forever, but... You know, Maddie is also what's holding one crew together. And, you know, one crew is apparently very, very, very fragile right y now. Yes. I didn't know how fragile they were. <laughs> um, but it's funny to think about the fact that, like, for one crew, they were following Blood Drain into battle, like, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it hasn't been that long. Like, for us, it's been, like, two years now almost. Um, but for them, it was, like, a hot second ago. And, and it doesn't... That's the one thing where I'm saying, like, they should have reminded um, the viewers of the history here because obviously, like, Octavia and the Bludgeonna um, whole debacle is still going to hold some weight for them, emotional um, stress that she might have caused them or that they are feeling now that she's gone, you know, because I, I wonder if some of them still believe in her absolutely i think this would have been an amazing opera i mean they they allude to it a little bit they they talk about like you know we didn't have a, a commander when we were in the bunker blah 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 but i think like what a what an opportunity to be like would if, if blood reina would hear you'd follow her right you mm -hmm. know like to just sort of remind them of what that kind of um one you know like a loyalty looks like and 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 feels like you know yeah. It wouldn't have been that hard. Yeah. Um, I do like that Indra calls out Clark about baby, uh, babying Maddie because I, I think that Maddie, I mean, Maddie's young. She's, I don't know, what, 13 now? I think um, she's 14. Do you think she's 14? I think so. It will look it up. Okay, 13 or 14. I think she's younger than 14. Um, but even still, I don't think she's that much younger than, like, Clark and crew were when they first came to Earth. Absolutely. Um, and it's kind of an issue that I always had on Buffy the Vampire Slayer when um, Buffy was always, you know, obsessed with protecting her little sister Dawn, who at that point was, like, 15, 16 years old. And it's, like, at some point, as a parent or as someone who's looking after um a younger child who's growing up to become an adult you've got to like loosen the reins a bit and start letting them make their own choices i think that clark doesn't give maddie the credit that maddie deserves i Maddie's, 100 percent agree with she's you she's so strong like clark is saying that maddie's not in a good place right now but i i honestly just think that maddie is so much to give i think clark's the one who's not in a good place that's right now, exactly you know? what i was gonna say is it's it's so much of a projection of clark onto maddie than it has anything to do with maddie herself and indra calls clark out on that bullshit mm -hmm. you know you are babying her think of all the things that you had to handle when you are not that much older than her and every other person here has had to handle yeah. like i get that you want to protect her i get that you want to create as much of a safe space for her as possible that you never got but, like, there is a reality here that needs to be addressed, and she is the key to holding all of this together. Well, and as much as it's important when you have a child to provide a safe space, again, it's also important to prepare them for the world. And, you know, you can't you can't shelter a kid forever. That's not going to help them. I also think it's, like, she's – Clark is just – vastly underestimating how much Maddie can handle. Yeah. And I also thought it was weird at the end of the episode when Gaia asks her, how is Maddie doing? And Clark's like, honestly, I think she's relieved. I feel like that was a little bit of an oversimplification because <laughs> I was like, are you sure that's how Maddie's feeling? Yeah. I don't think I believe that. Um, I'm sure she is relieved in some ways, but I think in other ways, like it's, it's very fulfilling to have a purpose to lead a people mm -hmm. to be important, to be that kind of, um, spiritual you know person that people look to and I'm just imagining that that 
that would be a hard thing to, to walk away from. I mean, I do think that she does feel relief. Um, yeah, I'm not ways. disagreeing that. Yeah, agreed. But, but I there's don't... also, I think, the loss of purpose that I would agree with. Right. I just think it's an oversimplification. Yeah. Um, and I, I just really think that for a lot of parents, I can't imagine how hard it must be to come to terms with the fact that your child is no longer a child, but every parent at some point must do that. And Clark is going to have to have that reckoning as well. Yeah, it's coming soon. Um, it didn't even occur to me that there would be people in one crew who like would welcome Shadetta's return. Mean either. It's a little scary now given that he has returned. And I'm wondering like who, who how, how many of one crew is he going to get to his side like this, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly like all of Sangeta crew. Yeah. They're like, they're ready. Yeah. They're pissed. Pissed. <laughs> um, I did want to talk a little about the guy and Indra in this scene because I think it's fascinating to watch. It's almost played out like a, a microcosm of the old guard versus the new um, and the way that Indra and Gaia interplay and like how that correlates to the mother and daughter relationship because like there's so much faith and hope and spirit in this younger generation like you know um, symbolized by or represented by Gaia um, but ultimately we see here that like nothing is going to beat institutional wisdom like Gaia has faith in her people in the future but Indra inherently knows her people she has this experience that the new guard doesn't have yet um and I think that's really interesting to see that play out here because I don't think Gaia is wrong Mm -hmm. you know I think she's right I don't think they should I think that they needed to be told the truth I just think she's green. You know, she's got a lot to learn about politics. Yeah, you know, I think there's an interesting way that this specific dynamic that you just talked about kind of interplays with what's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, always the younger generations tend to be the more active generations, um, the ones who have a lot of hope that things can change. And then the older people who've kind of come and gone and seen things not change, um, don't have that same kind of passion a lot of times, but I truly do believe, you know, even I, I, I am still young. I'm almost 30, but I still feel, you know, like I'm part of the millennial generation and, um, I'm tangentially close to Gen Z. Um, you know, my brother is, I think the first year of Gen Z. So that's what 97, I was born in 90. Um, I think that having hope for the future is never a bad thing. And I know like even looking at the world right now, just things that have changed in the shortest period of time um, for the better, like uh, the uh, the Minneapolis police department just today announced that they would be uh, dismantling the police department. Yeah. Um, and they're going to focus on community led ways to protect their citizens. And like, that is a huge move and that is directly a result from the protests that have been happening um and so like i do believe that things can change and so like yes indra knows her people but i think that indra also isn't giving her people enough credit that they can choose to be different if they if they want to and they just need to be inspired to absolutely i 100 percent agree with you and that's why i think it's it's so fascinating to watch them play because ultimately there's no right or wrong here it's it's there is hope there is passion there is 
inspiration to be found in the new generation and the upcoming and like Mm -hmm. Gaia herself has the potential to be that beacon for her people I truly believe Gaia should be the leader you know it's like she's (laughs) got all she's got the goods yeah she's got the goods it's just she's been sheltered for a really long time in this like subgroup of the flamekeeper community Mm -hmm. she doesn't know her people yet that well uh she has she's got things to learn which is fair um she's very green but she'll get there I think the most important aspect of a leader is compassion. And I think Gaia has compassion coming out her butt. Like she is just full of it. And I think you're right that she just needs to learn um, about the best ways to speak to these people. And timing is key, Mm -hmm. right? Not the time, Gaia. Not the time. But ultimately, I really do feel like Gaia would be a great leader for everyone <laughs> in Sanctum. You know, like I, I always view Clark, Clark is a leader, but Clark isn't someone who wants to be a leader. And I don't think Clark would choose to be a leader if she could just go off and have peace somewhere. For sure. But I think Gaia is the kind of person who may not seek power, but is like uniquely suited for it. Like, never mind. <laughs> um, and sorry, guys, I, I just had a Never mind. <laughs> and I want to see, I want to see Gaia come more into that role this season. And I hope that that is what they're setting her up for with her now kind of having lost her belief in the flame, but she still has that belief in her people. You yeah, know? absolutely. And I think that's what this scene was really about. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to see how this struggle plays out this season and if one crew is going to come back together after this, or if we're going to form some new community with kind of everyone or you know there will just be factions that split off who knows who knows (laughs) um but just so you know in case you didn't hear oh what nelson needs more kindling (laughs) i need more kindling (laughs) this was a really close runner-up for our favorite line guys it was so funny it's so good nelson's like piling on logs to the pyre it's this enormous (laughs) enormous pyre of logs for Russell. He's like, I need more. I need more firepower. I need more firepower. Light me. Oh my gosh. Nelson. Really great meme worthy stuff here. Nelson's really giving a lot to me this season. I mean, he was very unexpected, but thoroughly enjoyable. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on here, uh, as we move into the, the, the core reactor piece of this. And I think it's important to note how much tension starts like ratcheting up at this point in the episode like the pacing like really picks up and Mm -hmm. there's a lot that is like playing into this but I think a lot of it is Lindsay Morgan's performance and she's just giving a hundred and ten percent she is fucking stressed yeah (laughs) she is very very stressed um and you know it's like she is like all right one crew they're not working with us we're going immediately to the Allegiance people. We're going to recruit them. Plan B. Plan B. <laughs> and, like, you know, we can see immediately that, like, game plan is being set on the fly. And, like, she's starting to she's starting to break down. Even yeah. here. Well, yeah. But also, I think, again, this is where Raven shines. She's a very quick thinker. She always has options that – and, like, she doesn't hesitate. Like, she makes decisions and she goes – full steam ahead and if that doesn't work she immediately changes course um and makes a different decision and goes that way like absolutely I agree I think you know it's unfortunate because she's she backs herself into a hole here Mm -hmm. um and it's not her fault like let's be clear like there's things at play here she didn't ask for she was like in she inherited this problem that she's trying to fix uh and there's no easy solution (laughs) um 
Big important question though. Yeah. Where in the hell did Nikki get this electric blue hair dye? Um, I think maybe in the uh, commissary. Is that what you call it? The prison? Yeah. Where they get stuff. I think they had like grape Kool-Aid packets. Like the electric blue. Like kind of blue. Maybe it was blue raspberry. And I think that she saw those and she was like, I have an idea. And then she dyed her hair blue and just kept doing that over and over. But I think that's probably going to fade out now that there is no more uh, Kool-Aid packets. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very electric (laughs) blue. It was confusing. I don't see a lot of dye resources around. I mean, for her, though, it hasn't been that long since she wasn't in prison. I guess not. It's been like... It can't be more than, like, a month because, you know, I mean, like, with all of the time they spent sleeping. Sure, but you don't think the dye would fade over the time and when they were in... Cryo? Cryo? No. I, do. I mean, like, yes. Like, logically, yes, but not in the way that they have cryo working in this show. Okay, we're talking about this for way yeah, too this... long. It doesn't matter, but this is, <laughs> this, is what, this is what happens in my brain. Um, anyway, let's talk about Hatch. This scene does a lot to establish a lot of things about Hatch. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one is that he is by far the most controlled um, and tempered of the pair. Yeah. Between him and Nikki. And he is clearly the calming influence that keeps Nikki tight leash. Yeah. Uh, and again, like that is just setting us up for what's to come. Because we learned by the end of this episode that without Hatch there to control her, she's a wild cannon. Sure is. Um, I, I know that we, like, are immediately supposed to like Hatch because he thought McCreary was an asshole, and we obviously all know that McCreary was an asshole. Um, a little bit nervous, though, that Nikki sees some, like, good things about McCreary. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't bode well. Nikki, Nikki's got some issues. Um, but I will say that I actually do agree with Nikki here over Hatch when they talk about respect. Um, Hatch, when, like, Raven comes over to ask them to do the welding, is like, oh, see, look, the respect. Whereas Nikki is like, no, it's because we're expendable, and that's absolutely the case. Oh, but I think Hatch knows that. I don't think th- I don't think that he actually believes that that's respect. You I don't think, think he's, so? He's placating Nikki. He's trying to calm her down because she was getting a little feisty yeah uh (laughs) and so he was trying to pull the wool over her eyes it didn't work um but we learn in this scene like hatch is not dumb like he's paying attention to every single word that raven said um and i think even now like here he probably infers that there's a lot more danger than she's letting on but he agrees to do the job anyway and it's interesting to me that he demands such a trivial price it's like almost as if it's a formality um, and he, he would do the job anyway. Yeah. It was like, I got to ask her something. Right. You know, it's, it's just, again, a formality, but it's, it, it's irrelevant because he's going to do the job. It needs to get done. And I mean, like, I know it's a joke, but like, isn't Joe juice free? Like there isn't currency in Sanctum, is there? <laughs> no, it's free. So yeah, <laughs> it's a joke. And that's why Raven like rolls her eyes because she doesn't truly understand that he's just as smart as her and like is on to her well i don't know if he's just as smart as her but he's definitely smart he's not he's very very smart he- yeah um i do love raven's irritation here about why does there need to be something in it for you it needs to be done um because again this is the raven that i love she's so practical she's so goal driven um she's not here for like any of this like wishy-washy shit she's like a job is here someone's got to do it you have the skills Come do it. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just like everything is very simple 
Yeah. And fits into like, you know, very neat pieces with Raven. Yeah. Until they don't. Yes, until they don't. <laughs> Jordan asks Clark if Russell can talk to his people, and Clark agrees with the caveat from Indra that if he says the wrong thing, she'll kill him. Later, though, when Russell does address his people, one of the believers shoots him, claiming he's a false god. It looks like Russell will, will survive, but Clark realizes they can't execute him now because it would turn him into a martyr. Yeah, so when Jordan walks out, Clark is just, like, so done with him. He's, she knows he's going to be the bearer of more bad news, and she's just like, now what? I mean, like, it's true, like, every single time Jordan comes around, it's like, come on, Jordan, you don't know anything. Like, he just, like, seems to be so naive in every situation. really pathetic, but it's interesting that Jordan has, like, learned enough about Sky Crew at this point in order to manipulate them, particularly Clark, yeah. and appeal to the specific nature um, and yet it's like he still has these blind spots when it comes to his own, the people who are manipulating him at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like learning, but he's not quite fully cooked yet. Yeah. I I mean, he does. So he brings up Monty here. Jordan brings up Monty. Um, obviously, Monty's name holds a big weight with the, the Sky Crew um, and the original hundred team, mm. you know? Um, but <laughs> I just, I know Monty's an incredibly, uh, popular character in the fandom and I do love Monty, but I also really didn't agree with a lot of what Monty did. And I think that Monty, I mean, just as Jordan is, I think Monty was ultimately very naive and I really didn't appreciate his last season in season five when he just like refused to help his friends because he didn't want to be involved in violence. Right. Um, for me, that's just so completely against everything that I believe in. I, I just, I don't see eye to eye with Monty in a lot of things. And so in the way that he's often held up as a paragon, um, it does at times like irk me just a little bit. Yeah, it's like they've um oh they've, they've eulogized him. Yes, exactly. That's yeah, what I, he's, I he's become this perfect figure um who preached nonviolence, which is true. He did, but he wasn't perfect. He made a lot of mistakes, and I think his last season was the biggest mistake. Yeah, of all. it was a it was a rough season for Monty, but yeah. I I still I mean I agree. I also am sure that like as a person who spent a lot of time with Monty. Jordan knows this. He knows that his he I'm sure he loves his dad and idolizes him. But oh, I disagree. You do? I do. I think that it's hard for you to see your parents as anything other than like your perfect parents if all you know is them. You know, like I think when we it's when we start getting out into the world and like, experiencing yeah. more outside of our own family that we become to see our parents' flaws, which all parents have. Um, and I don't think Russell or Russell, I don't think that Jordan was ever really given that opportunity until now. Um, but he's not even able to compare it because now Monty's dead, you yeah. know? No, that's a really good point. But I do, I do think that he knows enough about the way that they've eulogized him yeah. to use him, to use that against them. Absolutely. I would agree that with manipulation. that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do love Jordan's, is that your medical opinion line? Yes. Because Great. as much as we've been dunking on Jordan this episode, that was like quite the burn. And I got to give my boy props. <laughs> yeah, he deserves all the props for that. That was awesome. Yeah. He dropped that bomb. It was great. Um, Switching gears, they go into the palace and Trey and Nelson are getting into it again. They're very, very intense, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just, just kiss and make up already, boys. Like, there is so much pent up sexual frustration here. Homoerotic 
sexual frustration. I'd be super into that. Like, that's like a true Romeo and Juliet story right there. It really it? is. <laughs> Although, I feel like Trey is super dumb. I want... That's true. I want more for I Nelson. I want more for Nelson. But maybe maybe he's just, like, into a himbo. I don't know. <laughs> I'd be down with that. I, yeah. I, I mean, like, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> yeah. And again, we see Russell as, like, a master manipulator and tells Clark exactly what she wants to hear. He says, you know, they want the same thing. They want peace. But the trouble is, like, their definitions of peace are very different, right? Like, Russell slash Shade Hedda, he wants subjugation and Clark wants freedom. So you have to be really careful when you're dealing with the supervillain who just tells you exactly what you want to hear. Well, what's also kind of fun is that I think both Russell and Shade Hedda wanted peace in the same way, which was the subjugation right. of our people. It worked again. Yeah. They could, could he not have picked a better spot, a body for him to <laughs> drop into. Um, so for me, I did start getting a little suspicious from when Russell's followers shot him. I didn't quite like make the connection, but I was like, I think there's more to this going on. Yeah. That's how I felt too. I, I like, I knew there was a plot afoot, <laughs> games afoot. Yeah. I just didn't know what the game was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I am like very confused here because they started or they were, they decided they weren't going to kill Russell after this, um, because he got shot and now he can't die because he became a, a murder and so we can't execute him. But I'm like, but like, wouldn't he have been a murder either way? I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think this is like getting down to semantics here in like not a good way. Um, but I, I think what's happening and I could be wrong is that, by choosing by letting him choose the way he was going to die that was like he was choosing it and like telling his people that he was okay with it and that did not murder him Mm -hmm. but if he was murdered like this um in cold blood then that would murderize him oh i definitely agree with that but i don't understand why like they couldn't save him now to execute him in the way that he chose later i guess because he was wounded and it was like Again, semantics. Yeah, it, it's really. I think that was very, very rough. vague. That was very roughly done. I don't think it really makes any sense. No, it's very contrived. Although I will say, I could be wrong, guys, because last episode was the episode where I made a lot of very strong statements, and I was like very wrong about most of them. Well, <laughs> everyone on Twitter just like came into our our mentions and was like, "Let me tell you why you were wrong about this. Let me tell you why you were wrong about this." We are the end all be all of authority on the hundred and we're really bad at it we are fallible (laughs) we are human but again obviously like if you if we need correcting oh yeah like i appreciate it we applaud you correct us we love it but after like the fourth or fifth time i was like wow (laughs) i knew nothing about this last episode again that, that okay but just for the record like we talked about it episode two was a like a shit show a shit show <laughs> in some ways in like info dumping yeah. it was very hard to recap that episode and pay attention to like other things that were happening besides dialogue at the same time <laughs> guys that was really tricky and, and we failed and we, and we failed <laughs> and we apologize <laughs> um yeah so this again this jackson thing like this whole thread with him having to confront his feelings about executing russell only to have to heal him it just felt very heavy-handed to me and, like, not that interesting. Yeah, I mean, I have to say Jackson's always been a character that I just don't He's care that much flat. about. He really is. Um, like- no offense to, to Suchin who plays him, um, 
because no. I think he's great. I, yeah, I think he does a beautiful job on and off the show. Yeah, I, I, I love his voice in the fandom. He's a huge voice of positivity, which is wonderful. Agree. And I again, he's another person of color that I think has been vastly underserved on this show. Underserved, yes, but I also don't see as much potential for his character as I do for others. Well, I feel like they had room to make potential. They just never Maybe. did. Maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I found this all very uninteresting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say that the 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 B plot of this episode, which is like the Russell stuff um, with like the children of Gabriel and the believers and everything, this felt very old school um, of the 100 to me. Like it felt there was something about this that felt very reminiscent of season one writing and maybe even a little of season three where it was like one thing has to lead to another thing to lead to another thing to like get us to this place where we like have this thing happen which is the climax of the episode um and it didn't it was not bad it's not bad writing uh and it wasn't bad writing and it didn't irritate me in seasons one or three I think because it was still a fairly new show and this was the format this was the format that that the show was like working with a lot Mm mm-hmm but as the show has evolved and as we have found ourselves in new scenarios and kind of new writing styles with the show, I think we have evolved past this point and to revert to that kind of storytelling felt a little jarring to me and it felt a little clumsy. Yeah, I mean, I think, and we'll talk about this in the coming up scene, a lot of this episode um, showed the writer's hands. Yes. You know, I think there was just a lot of contrived things that worked out in some way to make like an interesting discussion for us um and it was entertaining to watch yeah but it was it wasn't seamless at all right like (laughs) I don't want to call it a failure because I do think that this is like the this like they achieved what they intended to achieve Mm -hmm. right um I'm I just didn't it just felt dated I guess is the word I would say yeah I like dated I like that I, I definitely would agree with that yeah so let's move on to the the real meat oh of this God, episode. You guys, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so in the reactor, Hatch and his crew start working on the pipes while Amori goes into the core to move the control rods. But even once the control rods are in place, the core temperature is still rising and depends on Hatch team Hatch's team to fix the coolant pipes. While both Amori and Murphy start vomiting, Raven realizes there must be more radiation leaking than she'd thought, and that Hatch and his team are going to die. But she still chooses not to tell them of the danger, instead looking to Murphy, instead locking Murphy in with them to help them finish the job. They do, but only Murphy makes it out alive. And when Nikki finds out that Hatch is dead, she beats Raven to a pulp, and Raven just takes it because she thinks she's deserved it after what she's done. Woo! So... That was a lot of things um, that happened in this scene, and it's a lot of, like, technical stuff, too, um, with the radiation and how that's all working. Um, So we definitely, on that second time around, we're trying to pick up all the nuances of what was happening with this, like, radiation nuclear power system, um, what was faulting, and why. So that was, like, already a thread that was difficult to understand in the episode. But let's get into the raven of it all. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is apparently, according to Kim Shumway, who wrote this episode, um, supposed to be Raven's, like, quote-unquote, lever test. And yes, like, Raven does initially lie to the the miners about the radiation leak, but, you know, she ultimately did believe they'd be fine. Yeah. She thought they'd be a little sick, they'd be vomiting, but, like, 
ultimately fine. And for her, that was like a pretty decent sacrifice. Um, yeah, that that feels like a nice ROI. Yeah, like it, it had to be done and they had the skills, so they were going to do it. Um, and then once she discovered that there was more radiation than she'd thought, it wasn't like she could pull Hatch's crew out. Like at that point, they were already dead. So for me and her decision to, to not tell the crew um, what was going on, it just didn't have anywhere close to the same weight that one of Clark's like lever you know tests have (laughs) yeah I mean again I think it's important to examine this um character study which I think ultimately is what it is um in the context of this episode and then again in the context of this series because or I guess in the context of this episode this season and then ultimately in the series because I think in this episode I don't I do think that this arc for Raven works Mm -hmm, I agree like the arc itself in this episode is perfectly constructed no problem right she like inherits this problem it's a bad situation she makes a lot of calculated decisions but ultimately they feel morally positive net positive Mm -hmm. um and then things just go keep going awry and she keeps trying to make up for it and ultimately sacrifices have to be made but that that's the thing sacrifices weren't made okay but like on the surface is what I'm saying okay that's like the Those are the beats, right? So, fine. That's like an arc in the episode. On the season level, I think, again, this is a course correction because season sex was a a huge character departure for Raven, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think... What I think is really irritating to me is that I don't think we needed this... We should not have needed this episode in the first place. In that I feel like season six departure for Raven was such a huge departure and such a um, disservice to her that they had to make a really overt uh, example of Raven um, doing something comparable for Clark in order for the audience to feel like she was back to the Raven that we know and love. And I'm blaming this episode's failures, on the f- some of them, on the fact that like season six was a failure unilaterally for Raven completely. And this is not enough of a course correction for me to make up for season six. And that is an issue. So I think like looking at this, not in just terms of like Raven's arc, like overall in the series, which I think is a lot really complicated, um, but also from like season to season and how like she had a very clear identity um, as a, competent but not totally morally upstanding human for like most of this series Mm -hmm. and then season six they were like well we're kind of like out of adults so we need somebody to like check Clark and you know like moralize her they chose Raven for reasons and they they retconned her right and they retconned (laughs) her exactly like for reasons passing understanding they chose Raven which makes absolutely no sense because as we talked ad nauseum she's done plenty of things to get her hands dirty but I just want to say here like she's already had a lever test that they just completely forgot about and that was back in season four when I think it was like episode three season four when she had to decide um whether to give radiation meds to people who needed it when they needed to preserve the supplies and she chose not to um and like like and then she saw people die because right. of it like exactly so I, that's I just feel exactly like right this is just a like I mean not that I dislike the idea of this episode because I do like Raven being forced to um reckon. consider to reckon yeah with you know the the all the things she said last season I, I agree this is a course correction 
from big last one. season. A big one. And I just resent the fact that it has to be here at all, I guess is my problem. I resent everything last season. Um, but I feel like for me, this course correction was ultimately flawed from the get-go. Because I agree. she literally didn't make a sacrifice. That's kind of the whole point of this was... If, for example, she found out that the radiation was leaking more than she thought and she was able to, at that moment, either decide to pull the miners out or to at least tell them. And if she told them when they left, they would be fine. Right. That their lives would be that spared. That they would be spared. Right. Or to, like, not tell them and make them keep going. That is a sacrifice. Right. And that is one that I can completely understand because at this point, like, it does have to be done or they will all die. Right. But she didn't. That wasn't what the situation was. The situation was they were these miners going to die anyway. Are already dead, um, and so I'm just not going to tell them that they're already dead. And honestly, for me, like I that's kind of get that's that. Mercy. Like I, if I were one of those miners, would not want to know that I was already dead and still have to keep working right. on it. Right, and then we can talk about this more later. But they cloak that as like a almost like a Slytherin move for her. Yeah. Like like she doesn't trust them to finish the job. Really, at face value, like, that's a mercy. Yeah. She's doing them a mercy. Um, so I agree that the setup is flawed. The execution, I think, is better. Um, they're doing all the things they can do with a flawed setup. Yeah, it's entertaining yeah. to watch. I agree. So let's get into some of the nitty-gritty of this stuff. Um, again, we see... <laughs> I'm sorry, I sound like I'm repeating myself, but Raven's very stressed. She's very <laughs> intense. Um... And she starts lashing out at both Amori and Murphy, which is a little out of character for her. Oh, yeah. Uh, Especially to, to, to Amori. Amori. Um, again, which I think is supposed to signify her state of mind at this point. Um, and I think, you know, we're supposed to start to, like, infer that she's not as uh, fully – she doesn't have the grasp of herself as she normally does. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's losing it a little bit at this point. At the same time, Murphy is displaying an unusual amount of sympathy uh, (laughs) when he questions Raven's lie about the initial radiation levels, and then she snaps at him that he should go back to being Amore's moral anchor, which it was a very oddly phrased way of saying that he he weighs Amore down. Yeah. uh, Because normally when you use the word anchor in that context, it means like he's grounding her. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was a very strange um, phrase that I had to like work out in my mind because for me that would mean like you are like her moral center. Center. Exactly. That's not what that means. No. She's meaning it as a – she's a slap in the face telling him that like you literally weigh Amori down and Mm -hmm. she could be a better person without you. Which which I don't disagree. (laughs) (laughs) She ain't wrong. (laughs) She's right and she should say it. Um, (laughs) But, but you know, it's just this lashing out that is so interesting in juxtaposition to Murphy's sort of guilt trip moment here. Again, we can talk about this more. Murphy's, Murphy's character arc in this episode in and of itself I think is excellent mm-hmm. I really like Murphy in this episode and I want to state for the record I enjoy Murphy yes Murphy is great the problem is is that this Murphy who appears in this episode is unrelated to the Murphy that we have seen and have been uh led to up in this point for the last like 13 episodes Mm -hmm. and there's a complete disconnect for me between this Murphy and the rest of the Murphys that we've seen thus far again there's even a disconnect between this Murphy and this Murphy in this episode like I think like him you know letting Amori go in um to the radiation core and do her thing without even like trying to volunteer himself is like the most like cockroach of cockroaches. totally and that's very in character for him yeah I, I mean like 
you so, know, I do, I don't know. I do feel like Amori has always been one person that he would put himself on the line yeah, for. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I'm taking it back. Um, I was surprised he didn't volunteer himself first. But I think, honestly, I think he feels like she's better at it than him. And, I mean, that's true. And, that, like, he would fuck it up. Amori's ten times more capable than Murphy. Sorry, Murphy. <laughs> I think he would agree with you. I, yeah, he would agree with me. You're right. <laughs> I don't think you have to apologize about that. But I just, so there's a lot of, so again, like, I think it, it is a bottle episode. And it does work as a standalone piece of, here I think there are pieces here are moving correctly in um accordance with each other I just don't think it works as a piece in a larger set of the season and the series yeah up to this point Um, on a character level yeah and I, I was also trying to I really had to think a lot about Murphy's arc both in this episode and then like what this episode is saying about where his arc is moving this season well yeah that's the thing is like where do we go from I don't get what's happening well it's it's just hard to go from last episode or I guess episode one to this episode yeah. with with Murphy and able to follow that thread um and I I'm still trying to get a temperature reading on Murphy and his relationship with Raven and how it's going to evolve past this point um because you're right like it was a very um unusual amount of empathy that he's um, displaying displaying for the minors when it seems like that would be a choice like lying to them seems like it would be a choice that Murphy would easily make but I do think that he is just surprised that Raven is the one making it when she's always the one who's like on her you know moral high ground podium sure Um, and so he is well her season six podium her season six podium for short but like even like a little bit before but like definitely in season six Um, so I'm wondering if like part of all of his reactions to things in this episode is deep down like maybe even subconsciously um his worry for raven because he does care about her and and love her as like you know a friend um and i think he knows this is gonna weigh on her yeah i like that reading i don't know if i believe that's what the writers intended (laughs) i think that's very deep uh, I think there's a lot of stuff happening in here for Murphy and Raven. I don't know if they're thinking about this in the context of the two of them like that. Yeah. I would love that reading. I, I mean, don't I, trust that that's what's happening. I will say that Raven and um, Murphy's relationship has always been one of the more intriguing ones mm-hmm. on the show. And every time <laughs> the two are together, I mean, they just create magic. Yeah, no, sparks fly. I There is a lot of stuff on Tumblr this week. Um about the thruple situation <laughs> and all three of them by the way commented and confirmed that they were into it <laughs> like it was Lindsay morgan first richard second and then um my god louisa, louisa yeah. third was like i third this <laughs> i fourth into it. it i would be 100 percent i, I that. fifth it <laughs> i i wouldn't mind um yeah so again i there's there's a lot of stuff in this scene and i i like I like Murphy. I and I like Murphy with Amori, even though he like you know doesn't volunteer himself. They do have cute moments. He oh, tell, absolutely. He tells her not to be a hero. She comes back and says cockroach protocol initiated. You know this feels very old times for them. It's very cute. It's very jolly. Um, I don't hate it. Oh, I don't hate it. Yeah. I mean that's that's the thing is I had to really um, reflect on Murphy in this episode because I I loved Murphy in this episode for the yes. most part. Um. 
but it, I it was also just equally as confused. And it just makes me sad because, like, this is what we've been talking about for a, so, so many episodes at this point. It's like, I really miss Murphy. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm so tired of being mad at him. Yeah. I don't want to be mad at him. Like, I love him. I mean, I like, just, Richard he, is such an amazing actor. And everything that he, he does with Murphy is just, like, I mean, Murphy is just such a compelling character to watch, you know? So compelling. And so, yeah, I don't want to be mad at him anymore. But I just want him to... To do like, the work. Do yeah. Do like literally like an, a tiny ounce of the work. Be a white man. Fail up. <laughs> do the bare minimum here, Murphy. I'm not asking for a lot. <laughs> um, but Emory is such a badass in this scene she with is the control rods. Such a badass. I just want her to get all the recognition because I think Emory is another again. Um, woman of color I guess on this show who has been so largely underserved and you know the, the episodes that center around Amori like I think back to um I think it was called God Protocol back in season four. Oh my god yeah that was a long time it ago. It was the one where uh Maury kind of played Clark um pretended that that guy Bayless was like that was one of the greatest episodes. It was so good and Amori was incredible. I and remember we were like stunned. Yeah like stunned (laughs) so that's what i'm saying like she has such potential in episodes in scenes because and louisa is so talented like she can she can carry her own absolutely and i just i i mean like especially last season um but honestly every season amori they're just constantly failing her as a character because she could do so much more than she's done and i mean i will say that in the last two episodes of this season that she's been in she has played a larger role, which I appreciate. Yeah, she's hot, but it's but <laughs> I know it still circles around Murphy. Yeah, it's at the expense of Mercy Murphy's character, yeah. and uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but that is the that's the elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. Um, Murphy proves again that despite his earlier joke about not paying attention, he was listening and he's paying a lot of attention, and he helps Amori so that she can get into the decontamination room as fast as humanly possible, yeah. which again was just very cockroach of him and I and very sweet, very sweet. Um, and then Amori starts vomiting and she's like, you want it forever, right? And it's like, she's the queen of, if you can't handle me in my radiation barfing, you don't deserve me at my blue nighty. That was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. Thank said. you. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. And we see with like every, I would say like every 15 to 20 seconds of this scene play out, like the tension ratchets up another five to 10 notches, like. To the point where, like, you can feel, like, the pressure cooker of this situation so tangibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, it's like the, the pipes are bursting and you can feel it. Like, it feels super physical. There's a physicality in this scene that I think they did a really great job with. And yeah. I, lo- I loved it. There's a lot happening. And most of it I didn't understand the first time Not around. a word. <laughs> um, but I did another, like, I don't want to, again, beat the, the Murphy dead horse. I was, again, irritated when Murphy was, like, telling Raven to get in there and to, like, help them fix the coolant pipes. Like, she wasn't already in control of this entire situation, doing her best to, like, I mean, keep like, Sanctum from melting down. Exactly. He's <laughs> like, I can spin dials. Do you really think that's what she's doing, Murphy? Is that what you really think? No. And I do think, again, it's ironic that Raven says she can't trust uh, the Allegis crew to get the job done if she tells them of the danger that they're in. But it's like, is she, is that even the right choice in and of itself for Raven? Like, there's a there's an interesting juxtaposition between, like, her not being able to trust them when she's not actually being trustworthy herself 
in their best interest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I like that she doesn't trust them because it makes sense for her character. Yeah, no, I agree. And she's, like, already experienced a trauma at their hands. This is the kind of character beat that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I'm saying this is this is texture. I like it. But, yeah, like, I, I mean, I, we already mentioned this, but I just personally think that the right choice at this point isn't to tell them because what is that going to serve but to make them distracted, you know? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. And, again, it, it's, it has but, to be done. But, again, <laughs> they frame it in a way where it, they make it seem – like she is using their sins against them mm-hmm. when really it's a mercy that's just yeah. what it is <laughs> um don't they like have the instruments to measure radiation like it just seemed very weird that it was suddenly like huh more radiation must be leaking than i thought yeah i agree i don't i mean we already saw that they have that measuring yeah equipment i don't I guess they took it for granted. I I mean, do they not have any other, like, larger systematic measures of radiation? You would think they would. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess not, but... <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, okay, so let's talk about <laughs> this really crazy thing that happened. Raven is, like, completely shut down at this point. She's operating purely on survival instincts, and her survival instincts are telling her to lock Murphy in the room... <laughs> relying on the fact that his cockroach instincts will just get them through this. I was shooketh. I was truly shook. I mean, I was shooketh as well. Um, But also, it felt right. It did. It was totally, it was like equal part badass <laughs> and like horrific at the same time. I think, I mean, just her way of thinking is, look, Maury's out of commission. I can't do anything because I have to control the coolant release or whatever the hell she's doing. There's just one other of us down here. Um, Either we're all going to die or you're going to get it fixed. So right. And also I don't, I don't trust that Murphy will volunteer himself to go into that room willingly. Which guess what? She'd be right. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I guess this is a little bit of a moral gray thing here, but like, again, it was like, Literally, Sanctum's about to melt down, so right. we're going to die either way unless one of us gets in there and helps them. Right. It's, <laughs> it, you know, it was it was a dick move, but it was the right move. Yeah, and I think Murphy even kind of, like, yeah, knows that. Yeah, he shrugs it off pretty quickly. <laughs> I do wonder, though, um, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but just kind of going on this thought here about her locking him in, is this going to change their relationship going forward? I mean, I know that... We get a little bit of Murphy later on um, kind of, you know, poking uh, Raven a little bit. Just like, hey, now you're one of us. Yeah. Um, but I, I do wonder if it's going to cause any sort of, I don't know if it's strife or like even bring them closer maybe in a way that now they can understand each other a little bit better. Yeah, um, it's a really good question. And I I, I don't know where the writers want to go with this, yeah. but we'll we'll see. Um, and so it was clear here that Hatch really does start to realize that something's going on. Raven tells him that he's getting sick from the xenon gas. Yeah. Um, and then Hatch tells Murphy, obviously, right after this, that they both have someone they love in Sanctum. And as he's saying this, it really seems like he's implying subtextually that, like, he knows that something is very wrong, but that, like, if they don't do this, the people they love outside are going to die. And so he's, like, dedicated to doing this whatever it takes, even if it costs him his life. Absolutely. This this conversation with Hatch is actually fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts out, Hatch is making small talk. He's rambling about this random story of one of his and Nikki's jobs about a bank heist. But then by the end of this story, it actually turns out to be a parable, right? Like, there's there's a real lesson in it. And he 
he and Nikki, you know, he's like talking about all this stuff. He and Nikki killed the hostages because they couldn't leave any witnesses, he says, which is like not exactly what's happening here, but like ultimately like alludes to the fact that whole Hatch knows that he and his crew are just as expendable to Raven as those witnesses were to him. Mm-hmm. There's like a nice parallel that's happening here. And he's like clearly again, subtextually like implying to Murphy, like I know I'm expendable. I know, I know I'm the sacrifice. I know I'm a here. sacrificial lamb here. Like I got it. Mm-hmm. And like he uses this story, this very casual anecdote. I mean, is it casual? <laughs> well, he's just like remember making small that, talk. Remember that one time when my girlfriend and I murdered a bunch of people? Apparently, it's not that big of a deal to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it is because honestly, like after this, Hatch and and Nikki went into prison, and and he's like you know saying like that it was kind of like the end for us um and then murphy is telling him well maybe this can make up for it and hatch says there is no making up for it like what i love about hatch is you know as horrible truly deplorable as the things that he's done are he like fully seems to understand that um and understand that like you can't take back what you've done um and nothing that you do moving forward is going to bring those people back to life um and so that he's really just trying to you know keep the people that he loves alive and keep them moving forward and i think for hatch that is what's driving him but i i also think that this is something that's going to haunt murphy going forward because murphy's thrown a lot of people under the bus to survive um as the cockroach that he is and so having hatch tell and, and like in all of last season too murphy was pretty was going to go to hell um and then raven tells him like look you've got to just be a better person if you don't want to go to hell and here hatch is telling him like you can't you can't make up for the things that you've done you've just gotta keep going forward um and hopefully do better but yeah. You know, that doesn't make the things that you've done okay. Um, and I think this is something Murphy really needs to hear and he needs to reflect on. And he needs to hear it from um, someone who's, like, as lowly and cockroachy as someone. Like, somebody who he can he can uh, see himself as, as an equal. Especially someone who's, like, in the middle of making a very, in, in many ways, heroic yeah. sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, there's a pure altruism here. Yeah really very impressed with hatch mm-hmm. yeah gonna, like i'm gonna like, miss him he stole the show in one episode <laughs> truly he was the mvp in this one yeah he was great <laughs> um let's talk about raven's breakdown at the end here because she the she tells everyone okay okay the pressure's going down the temperature's going down we're all good get out of there obviously murphy's the only one who's alive she goes in to look and like all of their bodies have melted and hatch throws his hand against the window and then he falls to the ground and it's at this point that Raven is like literally is coming face to face with the consequences of her actions. And like all of a sudden, all of those emotions that she had compartmentalized this entire episode, all of the ways in which she had just like tamped down her morality in a lot of ways um, have come flooding back into her, you know, in a way that like is is so characteristic of Raven and not Clark. Like well, actually- Clark can maintain that coolness for a lot longer than Raven can you know I was actually gonna say I like that you used um the word compartmentalize because number one I think you're right I think Raven was compartmentalizing I think that's something that Clark also does a lot yes but one thing that um did stick out to me in this episode was I actually feel like when Clark makes these kinds of heavy decisions and maybe this is just the fault of like the writing giving Clark the lead of the show more weight um but when Clark makes these decisions it really you feel like she understands 
what she's doing yeah. and that like she sees the sacrifice that she's making and it's an active choice on her her part I agree with you but we, I was gonna say but with Raven this whole episode it was like she was on autopilot and not really in taking anything until the end here agree I 100% um, agree and that's kind of where I was going is like again I think this is a flaw of the setup yeah. right in that like the nature of what is the nature of this situation Raven is almost in a like fugue state Mm -hmm. and then she like comes out of it at the end and it's like she's been possessed by another person and she has to wreck it you know it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation almost whereas like Clark is completely in control of her faculties the entire time she's making these kinds of choices and her lover moments so it's not comparable Mm -hmm. it's just it's just not which is I guess fair because Clark and Raven are very very different people people. Mm -hmm. yeah and they handle situations differently but but like ultimately like what we're supposed to get out of this is like Raven was in this crucible situation, if you will, mm-hmm. and is now having to reckon with the the choices that she made inside of it. Yeah. Um, I actually am really curious if Raven's going to confront the fact that she didn't give the miners enough credit. Um, if she's going to kind of have to really reconsider her feelings about the, the miners moving forward. Um, you know, she didn't think that they'd help if she told them the truth. And it turns out that Hatch kind of already knew and he helped anyway. Um, and that was just Hatch. But I think that it could show her that there is some maybe good still left among the criminals. And honestly, like, they're going to have to live with them Yeah. at this point because they are kind of like sort of the last of the human race like minus those other people out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of assumptions made for better or for worse which again I understand right all very understandable um but I do think that Hatch is something is somebody who proves that there's there's nuance here that you know they all can't be painted in with the same brush yeah Murphy actually has a couple of really fantastic lines here um as Raven is on the floor sobbing rocking herself back and forth Murphy says to her, my, how the mighty have fallen, and then welcome to the world of Grey, which again is just sort of him uh, saying to her, like, you, you have joined the club. You are mm-hmm. one of us now. You are, you, you're one in, of us, one, one of us, <laughs> um, you know, you have no moral standing, no yeah. high ground left to stand on. Um I mean, again, yeah, this is retconning because we've talked about it a lot. It's not true. Not true. Um, But I do like this here, and I feel like Murphy's justified in saying it. Yes. Um, Especially after last season. But again, I resent that it's there. Okay, we'll stop Yeah, and I also think, you know, you, again, just credit to Lindsay Morgan for her performance here because you really feel how devastated she is. Like, there's, she is feeling so much guilt that when Nikki attacks her she doesn't even fight back yeah she wants to be punished she doesn't she doesn't think she deserves to go on um and you really feel like the weight of that Mm -hmm. you know it was it was a great moment I think I mean like Lindsay Morgan did amazing in this scene specifically I mean like all the episode but like this scene was so good it was it was really powerful question Mm -hmm. why do you think the other Allegis miners stopped Nikki from killing Raven um I think it's because they know that Sky Crew or One Crew at this point kind of has the power and they don't want to like rock the boat, rock the boat too much because they also have to live here now. Um, Yeah. But I did like that 
that I did move. too. It just made it seem like, okay, they're not like mindless killers. Right, a lot they're of not them. drones. Yeah. Right. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, I know that they're thinking about this strategically and I like that they're thinking about this strategically. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely a little nervous now about how Nikki's going to handle things moving forward. Oh, I don't know. I think she'll be fine. <laughs> cool as a cucumber. Um, but all I want now, I truly just want Raven and Clark to sit down, have a frank conversation about all the shit that's gone down in the last like two seasons. Um, I want Raven to acknowledge that she didn't understand how hard this would be for Clark. I mean, again, I don't think it's comparable, but I think Raven will think it's comparable. (laughs) Um, I, I just like, I want the acknowledgement that the things that Clark has done were horrible, but like almost always they had to be done (laughs) in the same way that this had to be done. Like, they just have to be done. And I, I, I there's I, like a lot of moral gray there for sure, but. Well, sure. And I think ultimately what I, what you and I truly want is, is a reconciliation that feels earned, right? Mm-hmm. I want a conversation between them. And again, there are a lot of semantics at play here. There are a lot of nuances that make their cases different, but I want them each to come to the table and say, I see you. I am sorry. Uh, I will do better and rekindle their friendship yeah that's what i want agreed um so getting here to the end gaia sipping tea on a porch when clark comes out to join her the two discuss gaia's past as flame keeper with gaia unsure what she believes in anymore and clark is equally as lost feeling like it's impossible for her people to do better because they always end up in the same place no matter what choices they make and elsewhere in the medical lab jackson has saved russell from dying only for viewers to discover when Alyssa comes in to visit Russell that this whole situation was cooked up by Russell and his followers so that Russell wouldn't be executed. Um, so before we get into this scene, I just want to say how very cute and cozy it is that Gaia is sitting on this little porch with a glass of tea. Just mug like a, ni- tea. a nice, like, warm mug of tea. Yes. And it was adorable. It was adorable. It was like, I don't... It was very jarring at first. It was. I was like, what show am I watching? Is this Gilmore Girls? Like, (laughs) what's happening? Um, But yeah, again, like, every scene that Gaia has been in, um, in this season in particular, every single scene, she just shines. She does. And I love her. Like, I love her, and I'm saying that no matter what happens, whether her and Clark get together or not, I love Gaia as a character <laughs> yeah I I feel very similarly strong about the like Gaia and her role and like her potential in this show in the same way that I feel about Echo and yeah like, despite her relationship with Bellamy so like <laughs> whether or not Gaia and Clark happen Gaia can hold her own and deserves to be here yeah for sure um and again, speaking of Gaia, we just we see like a nice like little um, bookend of how we started this episode, which is Gaia kind of contemplating on what she's going to do now that she's free of the responsibilities to the flame. And I think she's very nervous about what this means for her. But I, for one, am very excited. I, I am. I yeah. know I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally and agree I, there. <laughs> I like the, I. So it's funny because like. The first time I watched this, I was really bored by this scene. I was like, I think because, like, the way that they um, put this in order, I was like, it just felt like a weird pause in the middle of an episode that, like, the tension was really, really high. Mm -hmm. But the second time I watched it, I loved this scene. 
and it was a, such a nice breath of fresh air and a moment again to pause and reflect. And I feel like we've been asking the writers to do these, to incorporate more of these kinds of scenes, mm-hmm. these like talking scenes. So I really appreciate this. And I just want to say that like, I really, I see it. I appreciate it. Like, I like it. And I like that, you know, again, Clark is preoccupied with this idea about fighting and what it means to survive and what it means to live. Um, And there's like a nice callback to some of the conversations again in earlier seasons that she's had with Luna, with Lexa, with other grounder characters. Um, It almost feels like the ghosts of those earlier seasons are kind of shadowing this scene. Yeah. I mean, for me, I loved this scene both times I watched it um, because this kind of represents There's two things that I love the most about this show. One, it's when characters are able to have quiet moments of reflection with each other, because I think that's when you really get a lot of the philosophy of the show across. Um, The other is obviously when characters have to make really hard moral choices. And so that is one thing this episode, I think, did both of for me, um, which I like. Um, Here, I, I just really think... Uh, the way that Gaia and Clark interact is different than any other interaction that we've seen so far with the other characters. And I like that their journeys right now are feeling very parallel. Um, So for me, this was like a a breath of fresh air, I guess is just, again, like this is the thing that I love the most about the show. And I want them to do more of scenes like this because this is what I'm going to carry with me when the show's over is these character moments, you know, a hundred percent. Um, so I don't know how I see this season ending, uh, because in many ways I do think that fighting is what we are. I think humans do kind of tend toward chaos. I think it's in our nature. Um, I think doing better, any of us doing better is really us putting our super ego ahead of our id, which is not hard to do even for one, or it is really hard to do even for one person. But when you get into like a group of people, a crowd of people, um, it becomes even harder. Um, and so I, I don't know if this group can do better. I don't know if humans can be better. I, I think, you know, we see just so many horrible things happening in this world right now um, that make so many of us feel helpless. Like, yeah. like there is nothing we can change. Um, and I don't, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to believe that humans can't choose to be better and that like as a group we can't all come together instead of break apart um I don't know if I've seen it in this show I have seen snippets of it in our worlds but a lot of times that is washed out by other bigger tragedies and other bigger um violences um and traumas and so I think this remains to be seen and I'm curious if the show, if like this, this seasons and the, also the show's central thesis is going to have something to do with this specifically um, and how that's going to relate to what's going on in our world right now. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I mean, I think it's imperative that the show's central thesis has something to do with this as this is the central question of the show. Um, and that is not a coincidence that it's Clark talking about this as she is our central character. Yeah. So we're about done here, aren't we? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say this last scene in the... in the <laughs> To end on a high note. To end on a high note. The last <laughs> scene here is in the medical bay. 
and um, Alyssa, it's revealed that Alyssa was the master plotter alongside of Russell all along. Again, Stan, Stan Alyssa. Um, and she brings a nice snack for a snack. Yeah. A snack for a snack. Indeed. <laughs> and I just, I really want this cookie. It looks delicious. It does look delicious. I was, I was wondering what was in it. Um, where did you get your materials to make this cookie? Please tell me. Same place that Nikki got her hair dyed. <laughs> Same place they built that Ikea house. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys. So let's get into some of our discussion Ooh, points. This is a big episode. This is a big episode. Lots to talk about. Um, let's talk about the title meaning. So the title, again, is False Gods. I think there are a lot of layers to this. Um, the first one is <laughs> Russell is not actually Russell. Russell. Russell? Russell? <laughs> he, that's, a good, that's a good name for yeah. <laughs> It's a good ship name. Uh, <laughs> Russell is actually Shade Hutta, and so thus in itself is a false god. Mm-hmm. That's layer number one. Layer number two is that the concept of the primes being gods in the first place is in itself, again, a false god. They mm-hmm. are false. They are lying to their constituents, um, their, their uh, flock, if you will. Um, third layer, do gods exist? You know, are they just a reflection of humanity? Like the concept of divinity itself is potentially a false yeah concept. it could be um i mean i think that i i do like the idea that gods are a reflection of humanity no matter if they're real or real or not um i think what humans choose to believe in is very interesting to to pick apart yeah um and the reasons why they choose to believe in that specific thing over other the many other belief systems that we have in this world absolutely and then the last piece of this which is unrelated to russell completely is um raven who kind of takes on a godlike complex herself in this episode and is doling out life and death meeting out life and death you know, and holding all of the power in herself and the, the consequences and the, you know, reckon, reckoning that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. So that's my title meanings phase in this episode. We're going <laughs> to move on to favorite lines. What was your favorite line? Um, my favorite line was actually one we didn't really talk about in the episode above, but I loved when uh, Clark was burying her mother's ring and she shows the ring to Gaia and she says, this is all I have left of them. And Gaia says, that's not true. You are what's left of them. And I just like that idea that, you know, we're always building a legacy with ourselves, but also with our children. And that like, that's kind of the circle of life is that the people who come after you um, both carry on your name, but they also go on to do other things and, and hopefully better things. And it's like that idea that like, you can always just do better moving forward. Even if your mom didn't get the chance, like you still can. Um, and I like that, that idea that like Clark can still go on and do more, even in if it, like in her mother's name. Yeah. Um, and also that like the best piece of her mother is Clark herself. Yeah. You know, like the, her goodness, like her hopes, her dreams for the future is literally embodied by Clark. Yeah. Um, but but my runner-up line is Nelson's, I need more kindling. It was a great line, and that was my runner-up too. But my, my favorite line um, was Murphy's Welcome to the World of Grey that he says to Raven mm-hmm. at the end. And I think, you know, this really does represent one of the best best parts of this show, which is this interrogation of morality on a scale of grey. There's no black. There's no white. It is all about choices and relativity. Um, and I also love what this – represents in terms of raven raven's arc and her return to form that i've been so deeply missing yeah so i really loved it what was your favorite scene 
Um, why don't you say your favorite scene? Because we've doubled up. Because it was, I mean, like, honestly, it was no contest for it us was this episode. no contest. I think <laughs> um, the best scene by far was the conversation between Hatch and Murphy. There were so many layers. There was so much subtext happening. And they were just a really dynamic duo to watch. Yeah. I mean, it was almost watching. It was like Murphy looking into his future. In yeah. A way. Yeah. Um, and it was a stark reality uh, and a good wake up call for him. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought it was a fascinating scene. Yeah. I wish we had more of Hatch. I really love him. I know. I'm so sad he's dead. I find him infinitely more inf- interesting than Nikki. I do too. But I do think we also haven't seen much depth in Nikki yet. That's I'm true. wondering if we will. Um, so the next episode is 704 Hesperides. In this episode, mysterious outsiders arrive with news of Clark's missing people. And all I can say is, fucking finally. <laughs> <laughs> and just a reminder for you guys, um, if any of you don't remember or didn't actually get a chance to listen to our season 7 trailer analysis, Hesperides um, are specifically the Greek nymphs that, right? Yeah, yeah they're, they're the Greek, Greek nymphs that um, protect Hera's garden. Um, with the golden apples right so we are thinking that this must tie into the actual garden mm-hmm. um on Skyring itself no idea how but we'll see not sure yet <laughs> we'll see um okay that's our episode thanks for sticking with us guys we know it was a long one uh if you'd like to contact us you can you can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com that's s-k-a-i-c-a-s-t-k-r-u at gmail.com you can also tweet at us at skycast and you can tweet at us at our own twitter accounts i am at the perlman 89 and i'm at sarah r mccabe and that is our episode so until next time guys may we meet again may we meet again guys Bye.